in my college days when I was living in Chicago, I remember going downtown uh, regularly, and I there's times when you would see somebody standing on a street corner wearing a sandwich board sign uh, with sort of the end is near kind of message on it. Uh, sometimes you'd hear the street preachers that would say that. Sometimes you'd see somebody with a sign. Um, and, and my favorite was the one that it really wasn't the end is near. It was a, a sign because back then uh, Clinton was president, Al Gore was the vice president, and it said the uh, that Al Gore, our vice president, had been replaced, kidnapped by communists and replaced with a fake Al Gore who was the one that was in uh, office as the vice president at the time. I, I wish I could remember all of it. It got very detailed towards the bottom. It was a hard sandwich board to read. But, but you know, we see these kinds of things, these the end is near kind of signs. And even as uh, if we're believers, we can look at these and, and, we, can, and we can kind of poo-poo them and say, well, that, that probably isn't the case. The end might be near, I guess, but maybe not. You know, we look at it and it seems like it's kind of crazy people that are pointing this out. And yet, when we get to this passage in 1 Peter that we're going to look at today, and, and we're going to look at 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, I'd encourage you to find it. When, when we look at 1 Peter 4, he begins with the end is near. As if he's standing there with a sandwich board and then gives us instructions on what that means for us. We're, we're continuing to pursue uh, what our values and our vision is as a church. And so let's let's look again at our vision statement, which is just a couple weeks old, and, and then we're going to dig into one of our four core values that support that. The vision statement to remind you is this. We exist for God's glory. Guided by God's word through worship and prayer, we will share joyfully the good news of Jesus Christ to make more disciples and bring the light of Christ to Lincoln and beyond. And we've covered then uh, three of our four core values that support this vision statement. Uh, we talked about scripture uh, being God's word to us, informing who we are and what we do. We talked about the fact that we're committed to unity as the body of Christ. And today we talk about the third of those four core values. Our mission begins by caring for one another. And so with that in mind, Let's take a look at 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Peter says, as if he's wearing a sandwich board, walking around telling us, he says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Peter says the end is near, but he says here's what this means. He says, be clear in your mind. Pray. And he's not just saying pray in the sense of building that relationship, but pray for one another as well. Because he says then love each other. Offer hospitality. Use your gifts. But above all of this, make sure that everything you do is motivated by God's glory and is for 
God's glory. That's why you're doing this. And I want to point out uh, what I think is a truth, and I hope you hear it and then make it the truth in your life as well, or refine it so that this truth works out well. And I believe that you pray your hope. What you hope for is what is found uh, if you pray and when you pray. And so you can see it in little children, for instance. When I was a kid, I remember uh, praying, you know, and it's a very immediate kind of prayer. It, it has everything to do with your immediate little world, and, and it's focused a lot of times on today. It expands out as you get older. But, but it'll focus on, uh, you know, I would focus on the pets that we had in the past, the pets that we currently had living you might focus on your brother or your sister or your parents or even your grandparents extend out that far, people who you know. It might have something that relates exactly to today, right? A, a little kid might come home from school and when they're praying at night, they might say, you know, pray for a brother and sister and the pets and all the normal stuff and, and uh, pray for uh, little Billy my classmate, that he would not get in trouble tomorrow twice like he did today during class, and he would sit and listen and do his work. You know, it's very immediate. Because that's their world. And they're not, they're not often thinking that far beyond it. Their hope can't be that far beyond it for most kids. They're, they're just figuring the world out. For adults, though, sometimes we can get locked into similar patterns where we pray for very good things, right? We'll pray for illness or for people who are, are really in need of prayer, the petitions that we offer up to God. And sometimes we'll expand out in the circles I've, I've roamed in for the past decade now. Uh, people will also add in their uh, uh, despair about politics or morality declining and things like that, to, to, which are fine things to pray for. But sometimes we put our hope in those areas, like that. Like our hope is declining because of that. Sometimes it's, it's still not looking at the broad uh, swath of what God is trying to do in the world. We're not connecting it to our hope. They're not bad things, but we haven't expanded out far enough to recognize why it would matter that Peter would say the end of all things is near. Because he says, look, you've got to have a connection to the hope that we have, and that's got to have an impact on your day-to-day, -day, it is best to connect our prayer to our hope, right? We're, we connect in prayer the reality of our distance from God because of sin. And so we praise God in order to recognize who God is. We confess to God in order that we can repair, begin that repairing of the relationship that's so far because of sin. That's distant. That would lock us only into today. We pray for what for the reality of what God has done, the assurance that we have through the cross of Christ, that we can be in a deep, enduring, abiding, and worthwhile relationship with God, the most necessary relationship we could have, in fact. And we pray for what it means, the implications and actions in our life. All of a sudden, we've connected it to our hope, and it relates to the day-to-day, -day, what it should do today. And it's easy to just get locked into the day-to-day -day, uh, and, and lack the essential sort of humility that we need, the essential connection we need to repair the distance that we have. Uh, Luke 18, 
I found this interesting in context of, of thinking about praying your hope. Luke 18, 9 through 14, Jesus speaks. Uh, Luke writes, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. And here Jesus says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you, I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He's got a reality of the distance, not just trying to focus on, on doing the right things, but the relationship that needs to be fixed, the relationship that is essential. That's what he's seeing in prayer. That's what he's connecting to. And, and when we start to do that, we start to recognize where our hope really is. It's not in the daily deeds. That's the implication. It's in the relationship we have with Christ and what Christ is going to do in this world, in and through us. The end is near. Peter tells us what to do. He says, know what God is up to. Know that at some point, this all ends. And there's judgment and reward on the other side of that. Be clear-minded, Peter says, because of that. Form the essential relationship with God through prayer. Form that same relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ by committing them to prayer. And he gives this really curious little line in verse 4-8. took me a little while to kind of think it through this week. It says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. And at first I thought, well, was he saying love forgive sins? No, I don't think he's saying that. I think the more I looked into it, the more it was clear he's not saying that, that it forgives sins. But that is to say love is forgiving. Love is going to continue to look to care for those around us. Love is going to continue to forgive those who do us wrong, just like God has done to us through Jesus Christ, forgiven what has gone wrong. And it will continue to look for reconciliation when it seems like things ought not reconciled. And then I came across, as I looked into it, this uh, an example I never would have connected with this passage, but really fits, I think. And that is the example of Noah. After the flood in Genesis 9, Noah plants a vineyard. Then he enjoys the fruit of the vineyard and gets drunk. And lies uncovered, the text tells us. That is, he's not wearing a thing in his drunkenness. And one of his sons sees him that way and goes and tells the other two sons. And it's, it's a bit, it's presented as if this is kind of a gossipy, ha-ha, look at dad kind of thing. The other two sons do not take the same attitude. They walk in backwards with a sheet to cover up their father's nakedness. And so it is that love covers over a multitude of sins. Within the body of believers, love is going to accept those who come in and say, we might not be able to see eye to eye on everything. 
And we're certainly not going to accept anything that comes in and say, well, that's just okay, even if it's sinful. But they will say, we will say as the body of believers, we are going to cover over shame. We are going to love you. We're going to aim you towards Christ. Love covers over a multitude of sins. When there's wrong within the community, we're going to look to one another and try and make it right. When there's forgiveness that's needed, we're going to seek it out. Love covers over a multitude of sins. It forgives, it cares. And there's an urgency in all of this. Urgency matters when it comes to care. If something needs to be done right away, you do it. So it is with care. It's no different. And Peter is telling us, be vigilant, be ready. Be constantly at work, caring for those in your midst, loving in your midst, showing hospitality. We've, uh, Stephanie and I have sold uh, one home in our lives now. We were proud mortgage payers. We sold the home in order to move here to Nebraska. And now we're proud mortgage payers again. Uh, when we sold the home, we didn't have to go through a long process of keeping it clean. Thankfully, uh, you know, we had three kids, still do. Uh, and, and the idea of, of keeping it clean every day, you know, it sold very quickly. We were so thankful. But for some people, they have to keep it clean day in and day out. But they understand why, right? They keep it vacuumed. They make sure there aren't dishes on the counter. They make sure closets are clean. I mean, everything has to be good. If you want it to sell these days, right, you want to stage it right, you want to get it ready, you want to make sure it looks nice and presentable, walk in, that is move in ready for somebody, basically. And, and so it is. When Peter says, you know, that the end is near, he's saying, be ready just like this. Have the house prepared. Continue to take care of those around you. Don't uh, neglect your duty to care for one another, to show hospitality to those around you. Because you know something's going to happen at some point. If not today, if not tomorrow, it will. And if not in your generation, you need to make sure every generation after you is prepared. Prepare the next generation to recognize that we need to be ready. We need to care for one another. And I want to point out then, P Peter is really calling us to the, to the task of hospitality towards one another. And, and a hospitable person is a hopeful person. They're, they're preparing. They're getting ready for something good. Right? If you're genuinely happy with the guests that you're going to receive at your home, you prepare and you're ready for it. You're excited for it. There might be anxiety, too, that comes with it for some people. But, but you're ready. You want, you want this to happen. 1 Peter 4.10 Peter tells us to use our gifts. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Who does he say should use their gifts? Not just every third person, not just the people with the last names, letter A through M need to use their gifts and N through Z need to use their gifts for something else or, or don't need to worry about the gifts. No, he says, each of you should use your gifts. Now, he's saying we're gifted in different ways. Many passages in the New Testament would confirm the same thing. But why? Why are each of us, if we call Christ Lord, why are we called to serve? Well, caring for each other shows love. It turns out God already loves you and God already loves me and God loves those who aren't even in our doors today. Everybody that exists, it turns out that God actually loves. 
And God says to us, you should love them too. Using your God-given gifts shows love of others. And God has given you gifts to use for others. They're not simply for you and for me to use individually in our own world. They're for other people. And to not use those gifts is, is I believe, rather insulting to God. It's sort of like the kid uh, read about this recently, and I don't know if I'll get everything right about it, but the gist of it is here. kid uh, who had been given everything in life uh, it was spoiled. We'll just say it that way. Got angry at his mom and took his own, he's about an eight-year-old kid, took his own personal iPad that he had. He was angry at his mom. He threw it in a fit of rage, cracked it, broke it. Okay, an expensive tablet. Not a cheap tablet, an expensive tablet. Sitting with a counselor later, talking about this, the counselor asked him what happened. He said, oh, I got angry at my mom. It's not a big deal. She'll buy me another one. You can see there's a whole lot of problems right there. He has no understanding of the value of the item, and he has no understanding of the value of the relationship with his mom that he should have. It's out of whack. But, but when we don't use the gifts God has given us, or when we use them selfishly, it is much like that same episode. It's okay. God will forgive me. It's okay. God will accept me anyways as I am. It's okay. God will give me another gift that I can use on myself. No, it's, it's, it shows ungratefulness to not use it, among other things. But 1 Peter 4.11 tells us a little bit more about these gifts. Along the powerful passage, it says, If anyone speaks, they should do so, as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and the power forever and ever. Amen. Whose words are they? Whose power is it? It's God's. It's God's both times. And, and in both cases, when we use our gifts, we're utilizing God's power through us that God's glory would be shown in this world through us. So using our gifts shows love to others. But using our God-given gifts also shows love to God. In 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4, you have this passage that, that in our, our understanding in this part of the world, we often, I think, don't we, we assume something wrongly. It talks about uh, when, when the end has come and the Lord is going to make his descent towards us, we'll see the Lord coming out of the clouds. The dead will rise in Christ first, and then the rest of us will be raised, and then the Lord will come down in the clouds, and we'll meet him in the air. And we often make this assumption that what that means is we'll then continue upward, which is not actually what the text implies. If you look at the original Greek of the text, it uses the language of ambassadors. In the ancient world, when an ambassador came to town, what you did is rolled out the red carpet. You walked out of town to meet the ambassador, and then what? You brought them into town with all the fanfare that they should have had. So, too, that's what the implications of the text, that will bring Christ in. Uh, once we meet him in the air, we'll bring Christ in with all the fanfare that he deserves in his return. Using our God-given gifts shows love to God, but it also, 
also, and I bring this up because I think that hospitality to one another is the training ground for hospitality of Christ. That is to say, we're not going to be ready to receive Christ if we can't even receive one another hospitably. We're not going to do a good job of it. And it's not going to really be well received if we were hospitable to Christ. And, and Christ says, but you weren't hospitable to one another. He, in fact, has words about that in the Gospels. No, it's the training ground so that we can be hospitable and prepared for the return of Christ whenever that comes. And think about how that increases the magnitude of verse 7. It says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray so that you're ready for the thing to happen. It allows us to focus on what matters now. It allows us to focus on what is coming, our hope and the return of Christ. Came across a great passage of, uh, not great passage of scripture, great comment from a commentator, uh, Warren Wearsby, this week. And he said, uh, early in my ministry, he's been at it for decades now, he said, early in my ministry, I gave a message on prophecy that sought to explain everything. I have since filed away that outline and will probably never look at it again, except when I need to be humbled, he says. A pastor friend who suffered through my message said to me after the service, Brother, you must be on the planning committee for the return of Christ. I got his point. But he made it even more pertinent when he said quietly, I've moved from the planning committee to the welcoming committee. Christ will return. Even now, we need to prepare for that day when it comes. It will affect us all. We need to be ready. We need to be on the welcoming committee. The team that's ready to receive Christ. And so today, Peter encourages us. The end is near. Here's what that means. Focus your gifts on care for one another. Hospitality, it turns out, is a choice. We need to get in the game. Now, we've got plenty of people in our midst here today who are hospitable. Man, some of you excel at hospitality, especially at baked good hospitality. I'm thankful for it. Uh, that's a particular weakness of mine, and I love it. I love when you use your gifts and abilities. Some of you are particularly good at welcoming those into our congregation. At welcoming those into your homes. You're hospitable. That's your, your gift, clearly. But we're encouraged to all be a part of it. And let's face it, we're all hospitable towards something or someone in our lives. We make decisions all the time that roll out the red carpet for something. The question is, does it deserve our time and attention? Because it'll show what we value. If we'll focus all of our time and attention uh, on work over family, for instance. If we'll focus all of our attention on binge watching something on Netflix or YouTube over homework, whatever it is, we, we focus our attention on things. We have to ask the question, does this deserve my hospitality or not? Hospitality is a choice. We need to focus our gifts on hospitality. And we all have the gift in one way or another, and we're all called to participate, Peter is telling us. It's not a choice. Now, there are different ways we can do it. 
right? Let's if we take church life for instance, because this is an area where I think uh, on the ground we 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 see it at play. Uh, we have those who greet one another, especially those who are new, but those who greet one another, those who who serve in various ways, uh, whether I said it's, it's people who serve uh, after church uh, with coffee and snacks, which actually is a very valuable ministry. People who serve in other ways uh, throughout, who make the place look nice, so it's hospitable from the beginning, who, who clean up things so it looks good. People who just encourage those who are involved. Man, you guys are invaluable. Those who pray for one another. And, and I, have this, uh, I have this dream that, in fact, uh, we would have people who would wander around the church at, let's say, 10 o'clock on a Sunday morning and pray for this room. doesn't have to be an organized team, just people who would devote themselves to that. Sunday school ends, they walk, they maybe greet a couple people, but they walk through this room and pray for this room. Those who would walk outside and pray for the grounds. Those who would walk around and pray for the nursery. Pray for the areas where the children learn, for, for children's worship. That's part of what Peter's calling us to do. When people walk into the doors of the congregation, we greet them. And I'll tell you, we're an introverted people, so this takes a lot of effort for some of us, but we need to be in the business, all of us, of greeting people, not sitting on the sidelines, but getting involved. So whether it's the frontline stuff that we can be involved in, where it's greeter or usher, hospitality host where you're, you're involved in sort of that second line of, of welcoming those who are new, whether it's the stuff after church, like we talked about the snacks, or whether maybe even uh, you're a person who, who is really hospitality is behind the scenes and you just like to clean things up. So afterwards, you're a person going through collecting bulletins in the pews. Maybe you're a person who comes early and you make sure that the place looks good on the inside. If there's dirt on the floor, you clean it up. If there's paper out of place, you move it. All of that's hospitality. All of that is using your gifts and Peter saying, use them. Use them. Be prepared when you come into the assembly of believers that there might be those who aren't, first of all, that there are people here who are going to be new to us, old to us, churched, unchurched, hurt, healthy, unprepared, confused. All over the map, we're going to have people. But we've got to be ready to receive them, be alert and sober-minded, be hospitable with a joyful attitude. Nelson Searcy in a book called Fusion, where he writes about sort of hospitality, but particularly greeting those who are new within a church setting. He says, and, and he, he's a pastor at a multi-site, a uh, few thousand people church in New York City, um, that, by the way, they have the welcome center like we do, um, multi-site, thousand, few thousand people. They don't have a sign-up sheet. They just trained everybody. That's, that's, that's my prayer, that everybody would be in the business of hospitality here. But he says this, Cersei says, In working with churches of all shapes and sizes, I've noticed an interesting phenomenon. The more prepared a church is to receive guests, the more guests it receives. So there's a blessing in hospitality, too. Not only are we glorifying God, 
Not only are we showing love towards God and towards those around us, not only are we preparing the way, in a sense, rolling out the red carpet even now for the return of Christ, and we're ready. We're continuing at the jobs that you've called us to do, God. We're continuing at building the relationship with you, God, through Jesus Christ, that we should have so that we have close communion with you. Not only that, but there's a blessing that we continue to be able to exercise those gifts more and more. More people will show up in our midst with whom we can be hospitable, to whom we can share the good news of Jesus Christ, who would hear and be changed simply because we were obedient to the call to show them the love of Christ. Peter says, be clear in mind, pray, love each other, offer hospitality, Use your gifts, but make sure above all else you show glory to God as you do this. And we pray our hope, and our ground game has to show that hope. And our hope comes from Jesus Christ. It comes in Jesus Christ. It will return with Jesus Christ. Let's pray.